Okay, week one of the books. Chris Long joins me every Monday here on the Ryan Rosillo Podcast, and our presenting sponsor is, of course, Belvedere. In partnership with our friends at Belvedere Vodka, join us for a live Ryan Rosillo Podcast in Atlantic City for Monday Night Football at the new Moneyline Bar and Book at the Borgata on Monday, September 16th at 7 p.m. We'll be enjoying cocktails made with Belvedere Vodka, the first super premium all-natural vodka. Watch the Browns versus the Jets and talking football, and Jets and Browns fans probably could use a couple extra vodka sodas after what you saw after week one i have never been to ac i know that sounds weird but maybe it isn't because the closest i ever was to it was 2002 which longtime listeners know was not my peak year and i didn't have enough money not only to gamble when we had some people from the trenton thunder that organized a bus trip i didn't have enough money for the bus trip so i lied and said i was busy and i basically stayed at home and watched final played final fantasy 10 um that was basically if i wasn't watching baseball or working I would play Final Fantasy X. That was my escape from reality, and that makes a lot of sense because I was collecting different gems and <laughs> trying to combine them, and I had a I had a sack where I, I could only bring out so many different things and different sword combinations and whether or not to use fire or ice or magic. And uh, Yeah, so I, was, I did, was not cast in the first episode of Stranger Things despite <laughs> my ability to fit in. So enough about Final Fantasy X. Let's see in Atlantic City and make this feel real. So anyway, let's get to it. Uh, we said Chris Long will be here every Monday, two-time Super Bowl champ, 11 years in the league, and uh, a guy that's about as good as a guy you're ever going to meet. So you were in AC just yesterday? That's yeah. crazy. I was in the city by the sea for my inaugural football Sunday where I watched the shit out of eight games and and actually absorbed like, what happened in half of them. Um, yeah. I, you know, these Mondays are different, man. I, I don't know if they're better or they're worse. <laughs> What's this like for you? Well, first off, I am sore today, but I'm sore from sitting on my ass and straining my neck looking at games. Uh, I don't have the tortall hangover that I usually would, but I anticipate a lot of Mondays I'll be struggling with a regular hangover uh, <laughs> because it seems like it's fun to drink and watch games, which I didn't do last night. Because I just studied my ass off for this pod. You were really into this. There's so many guys that, that I've worked with over the years, and maybe they're just naturals. I don't know. They're naturals or they didn't even care. I'd be like, hey, are you ready to go? I'd be like, yeah, man. I'd be like, what are you excited about? Uh, yeah, man, I can go in any direction. I'd be like, oh, so you're, you're like <laughs> not much. And then just be like, hey, just call us up at 9 o'clock. That's not what Chris was doing. I, I'm I a know, rep you know- guy. Yeah, I'm a rep guy. I mean, just like in football, I'm a rep guy. I'm not a natural. Did you know on Wikipedia right now, though, it doesn't list you as part of um, the Ryan Russillo podcast? Instead, it says tight end for Texas Southern. <laughs> What's it like being a tight end for Texas Southern? Am I living I my best life down there? <laughs> I, there's less pressure on you. Um, I can, I can a lot imagine less. that. All right, let's get to, to a bunch of the stuff here because we've been going over all the games and all the different notes. Um, I think there's a few different headline things, whether it's Lamar Jackson, whether it's Cleveland Browns, the Philly win. But I want to start with the Pats demolition of the Steelers last night, only because it transitions into the biggest story from the weekend. That's Antonio Brown and all these different things. We knew the Pats defense was going to be really good. I remember Damian Woody saying back in July, he's like, this is going to be one of the best defenses they've ever had. Um, you were part of a group that maybe was misunderstood defensively when you were there in one ring a couple years ago. What did you see from these guys? How are they built differently? And kind of, you know, I want to definitely get into what's different about playing your role in a Patriots defense versus other stops. Yeah, I mean, as for the game, 
New England kind of owns Pittsburgh. That's what do we learn from that? Not much. Um, is Pittsburgh worse defensively or is uh, New England that efficient on offense this year? To be starting that way, we all know they get better. How scary and potentially boring is that for everybody who uh, doesn't want to see uh, them get another ring? The defense, though, is the thing that if you're playing the field, has got to make you nervous, right? Uh, you, you talk to guys in that locker room and they say, and these are guys that were there for that 16 run, that I was a part of where we averaged giving up 15.6 a game, I believe, which was first in the league. They say this could be the best defense they've had uh, while they're there. And the secondary is is the strength, right? Um, they're elite. Collins is back. They added Bennett inside, who looks super funny in that number. Uh, <laughs> they added Winovich in the draft. Uh, and while Hightower um, you know, might not be part of that defensive uh, back end, he is the most important guy on the field, on defense for them. He's a total stud. And, uh, you know, last night, no exception. Uh, they really they really controlled the game. Connor had 20 yards rushing, um, which is something that if you're not going to be able to get the run game going on the pats, uh, you're not going to be able to get it going. That's why we were able to um, play so well against them in the Super Bowl in 17 as we ran the ball up their ass. So uh, last night, no dice for Pittsburgh. Don't know if they're that bad offensively or if this New England defense is historically the real deal. But on offense, too, I mean, shit, Brady carved him up and uh, didn't even have to get the run game going. You know, that man coverage on on those backs, it's impossible. And uh, four receivers over 50 yards, hit seven different targets. And how about this? First rounder, first time they ever took a, a wide receiver uh, in the first round under Belichick, the guy's hurt. He's on, I think he's on short IR. The kid from uh, yeah, Arizona Nikhil State, Harry. Neil. Right. Yeah, yeah, and 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 most teams are saying, "Shit, our uh, our first round pick, you know, the first time we've done this in twenty years, he's hurt. Uh, the sky is falling. Not so much. It's it's a total afterthought for them. And uh, obviously, with the news that that came out a couple days ago, that uh, receiving court could get even more crowded. So. This is the thing that, you know, I've always thought when I lived up there and this run started and a lot of Pats reporters used to like take this great pride in this this myth of the Patriots way where it's like, oh, the Patriots only bring in certain guys. And, and it's like, actually, no, they're bringing anybody like they will. And it's more about bringing in somebody that they think they're getting at a discount versus what the open market would say about him. And apparently there was a story with Antonio Brown where they were trying to trade for him and the Steelers were like, well, no, dude, we're not like, we can't beat you now. We don't feel like trading you arguably one of the best receivers in the league. So there'd be all these other headlines of, you know, how will Brown fit in? How is this going to work? You, you were there a year, but I mean, is it really that different? Like why, why is it that guys kind of go there knowing they have to be on their best behavior and then it still feels like a reach to me that Antonio Brown, with everything he just did, and let's face it, like everything he did, if you like him as a player, a lot of that stuff was bullshit, what he did. And so yeah. to say like, oh, hey, it's just all going to work out and flip the switch, we've seen it so many times with other Patriots. I still think it's a bit of a gamble, even with the way the contract is structured, that he's just going to accept the Patriot way. Well, it, it is a gamble, um, but it's a gamble, evidently, that they're willing to take. It seems to me they're getting a little greedy offensively. Uh, <laughs> the risk, and you saw Teddy Bruschi tweet it yesterday, if you follow Teddy. Um, you know, somebody from inside that kind of, that that Patriot sphere is, is 
like Teddy is a little bit concerned about the touches, right? You know, this this offense is it's it's in flow right now, um, in week one and everybody's got their role. Can you distribute that football um with enough equity to keep Antonio happy? Um but I think in general there the thing they have going for them is they have a, a clear precedent set. And it's not that Bill doesn't take guys who are up to bullshit. Bill takes guys knowing that these guys know what time it is. And and the boundaries are clear. It's one of the reasons that Bill's so great is he keeps boundaries clear and he doesn't make personal connections with players. And that's not even like you could argue that he doesn't have a, a real personal connection with Tom. He keeps a boundary with the most important player in Patriots franchise history because there will come a day if he's still coaching and he outlasts Tom uh, that he will have to cut ties with Tom in some fashion. Um, So knowing that you come in and they have this capital that no one else has, the Raiders certainly didn't have it, which is a guarantee that you're going to be in it at the end of the year with a big chance that you're playing the last game of the year. So uh, for AB, he knows what time it is. He knows there are clear boundaries. And he knows that if he wants a chance at a ring, this is his best shot. And, I, you know, I also don't want to get lost in the fact that I thought Mayock did a good job. I think Mayock's taken a lot of heat out west, but that's Gruden all the way. Uh, Gruden's running that ship. Look at his paycheck. And uh, and Mayock was the one who hardlined A.B. And that's the reason A.B. eventually uh, decided to orchestrate, at least on the back end, this move uh, when his guaranteed money was... uh, was in jeopardy. So, uh, listen for, for the Raiders, you give up all this for AB and really get nothing for it. Uh, you're happy to have him out, but it costs you draft picks. And then, uh, for the Steelers last night, it was funny watching big Ben say, you know, he's asked about AB, he says, whatever. And Tomlin's acting like he doesn't give a shit either. He hasn't paid attention, (laughs) but it's, it's exactly like this thing where you, you have this ex-girlfriend who is just an 11 and she's she's gorgeous, drop dead gorgeous, but she's crazy. And uh, you guys are you talking break to up. me, or are you talking to the podcast? Right no, now? I'm not talking to you. Do oh, you have okay. any 11s in your? Uh, so, so you break up, and you know, as the Steelers did with AB, and they seem like okay, he's going to go to Oakland to die and and be somebody's headache. But that ex of yours has found the one guy that can make her happy, and it might work with. Uh, and they have to watch it opening week as they get ready for the Patriots. I know it's in their heads, and I know it's got to frustrate the hell out of them. By the way, listeners, as we go through the season here, uh, you'll notice a constant theme that Chris doesn't have a lot of confidence in me and finds me unattractive. <laughs> and and now I, I used to bother me. I was like, man, Chris thinks I'm really unattractive. And then I realized you're such a nitpicky guy that I don't even take it personally anymore. You're just a hard marker. So, no, I just find um, things wrong with everybody. But also, I, I mean, like if you have yes. 11s in your in on your resume, uh, good for you. I yeah, I, I hadn't seen. <laughs> no, okay, no, I'm just, but I'm I just saying that I don't I don't rank people. I find that to be inhumane. And in 2019, oh, yeah. I'm I'm a little disappointed in you. Uh, well, 11's not a real ranking, so we've transcended yeah. the ranking system. That's right. That's right. They don't even exist. Something that should not be lost in all of this, and this is always like one of those just like I don't know what people think of Drew Rosenhaus. Like it's super easy to go Miami, Slickster, you know, right out of central casting. I hate this guy, I hate agents and all those different things. The thing that I know for a fact, because I was told somebody uh, somebody told me this like that's close with Belichick years and years ago, is that Belichick's always liked Rosenhaus. 
because he just thinks like Drew goes, hey, let's get a deal done. You know, we can yeah. do the, I'll do the public posturing, but behind the scenes, like, let's come up with a number. Let's get a freaking deal done and let's not screw around. Not to say that like every Rosenhaus client is the easiest deal with. Certainly it's not the case, but Bill feels like Drew doesn't want to waste time. Like if he wants his client there and Bill wants the client, that Bill trusts him enough to figure this thing out. And that's why people can talk about tampering all the time. But those two dudes have a really good relationship and some trust. No, I mean, that, you make a great point, and that's that's a strange rapport, right? I mean, that's really right. odd couple. Yeah, that's why, like, when I heard it and it was explained to me, because I was like, you know, what do people think about Drew Rosenhaus? And, you know, you hear all sorts of stuff, but they're like, you know who really likes him is Belichick. So, um, yeah, I mean, and and there's there's more to the to the takeaway from this game than just, you know, Pittsburgh is uncharacteristically bad and New England is boring good again. I, I I think you asked me what makes the Patriots so good. I think along with Bill's, I mean, along with having the best quarterback that ever played the game as a failsafe for almost 20 years, if you're talking about coaching and scheme, uh, Bill has done a great job of creating boundaries and he's also done a great job. I mean, you hear so much about this Patriot way and there's this preconceived notion that everything's really stringent. Uh, in New England, they mold into whatever they need to be to win. And uh, you saw it down the stretch last year where they just pounded the rock on teams like uh, the Chargers or uh, the Chiefs in the playoffs. And they used the fullback, uh, you know, with with such uh, effectiveness compared to the rest of the league. Last night versus Pittsburgh, New England ran 25 plays without a tight end. And all of 2018, New England ran 24 plays with tight ends, without tight ends. Without, so, right. Yeah, without tight ends. So they exceeded the amount of snaps they had last year uh, utilizing no tight end sets in just one game. So it's just, it's it's another layer to them just changing and and molding and fitting the personnel they have and not seeming like they miss a beat. But if you're New England, I think you got to worry a little bit about tackle depth. Uh, Tooney had to slide out. You know, you got your center situation with David Andrews, which was life-threatening, it sounded like. Um, and you want to keep your 42-year-old quarterback upright. They don't have any dominant edge rushers, but that's not how they win, right? So, I mean, you look at Chandler Jones, you look at some of those people they let go, and uh, their defense hasn't really missed a beat. Um, I think it affected them the Super Bowl year they lost to uh, us in Minneapolis. But other than that, they don't really miss a beat. They don't miss edge rush. So... Uh, interesting, and we'll see how the the A B living with Tom situation. What do you think about that situation? Did Brady offer up um, any lodging for you? Nah, dude. It was kind of Edelman. How kinda... bummed out is Edelman hearing that Brown gets to live there? Oh yeah, I mean, Jules immediately um, was pumping out the pro Brown, um, you know, propaganda. I won't call it propaganda because I do think he's excited. Uh, on on all his social media outlets, but I think deep down he's he's feeling a little bit. But you know, here's the thing. I mean, like you've seen pictures of Tom Brady's house, right? Yeah, yeah. They're all air. They're all aerial pictures. So when you see someone's house and it's just aerial, that means the house is pretty fucking big, right? <laughs> I I don't think. I mean, I know Tom's being a good guy and extending uh, the hospitality, but he he could be a half mile away in that house. I mean, he's basically. So you got don't his think it's wing. a real? Think, it's not like a real favor. He's basically saying like, there's a compound, and there's a guest house, and you can go do your stuff over there. But like, this isn't going to be. Yeah. Hey, you're in my spot on the couch. No, he's not going to be walking downstairs, and AB's going to be eating, um, you know, Nabisco premium saltines. 
in, in the kitchen uh, while Tom's, Tom's trying to make a, a healthy shake. I mean, uh, I think Tom lays down a few ground rules, one of which I think would be no docu-series in the house, which, by the way, I <laughs> that love was incredible. that. That video, the production was, was fuego, bro. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, I tweeted something that, that AB, he might be in on an Oliver Stone uh, reboot for any given Sunday, but like Blair Witch style and we're all the extras. Like I, I started to wonder for an hour if he was, of course I'm, I'm, I'm baked and that, that video comes across my, my, my <laughs> timeline. And I'm just like, my jaw hits the floor. I'm like, this is remarkable. Um, and turn you know around. the best part is the turnaround's amazing. It was all within it. And, and, and listen, he, he wiretaps, essentially wiretaps Gruden, what the hell's going on, man? I'm going to put that as the ringer for my wife <laughs> when she calls me. I'm going to pull John Gruden's what the hell's going on, man, and put it on the ringer for my beloved wife, Meg, because that's usually kind of what she's calling me about is like, what the hell's going on? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was reading this article this morning and I want to transition to the rest of the stuff because we're going to get to it. But there was this real feeling out there. They're like, Gruden just got so mad. He's like, all right, get this guy out of here. When they could have suspended him, they could have wrote it out for a little bit. He wouldn't be around the facility. Maybe they're able to trade him. Maybe he ends up not on the Patriots and, and piss everybody off. But the video production to be that quick, black and white, pool shots. I mean, that's if anybody questions AB's work ethic, not that anybody has, like that's a lot of hours. That's a lot of filming. Yeah, no. All those different cuts, quick cuts, star wipes. Um, okay, all right. It's, it next was beautiful. Game. I got to get to the next game because I feel like people yeah. are going to be worried that it's going to be an all Patriots podcast, and they already have yeah, that one here at the Rangers. Certainly it's not. Bill Simmons. Yeah, it's called the Bill Simmons podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your Eagles. Uh, ugly yeah. early, and then what do they put up? Thirty-two straight points. No, well, not thirty-two straight, but um, they get a late touchdown. It was a there lot. Redskins. Yeah. So what it was, was going lot. on? Give me the whole thing. I picked him to go to the Super Bowl. So where you're at with your other squad? Man, listen, I, I had concerns coming in, and I still have some concerns about some things, but. Uh, this was a quintessential Philly day, right? You got Mike Scott, who's my boy out of UVA, who's a Sixers beloved Philly athlete, in pajama Obviously. pants and a Sean Taylor jersey, just throwing down with Eagles fans outside of a tailgate that has a white casket by the buffet line. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And by the way, Eagles fans, I love you to death. No city owns a player's fandom. I'm a Knicks fan. I played in Philly. I love Philly. The Eagles are my favorite team, but I'm a Knicks fan. Mike Scott gives the city a lot. He's a Redskins fan. You want him to, listen, it'll only make him mentally tougher. Let him be a Redskins fan. That's bullshit. Don't fight your pro <laughs> athletes. I mean, how hard is this? Bo booze. We had booze before the half, right? Uh, you know, Washington scored their first touchdown on an opening drive of the season since 04 Keenum and the skins are up 17, nothing. You got Vernon Davis hurtling people. Like it's like friggin' 2005 at bird stadium in Maryland. And, and, and Keenum hits uh Terry McLaren for 70 yards and a touchdown. And at the half, you're like, where's Zach Ertz? He's got two targets, one catch, five yards. They've only got one productive play. And it was really ironically out of play action. The run game hasn't done anything. 16 yards on eight carries. And then if you backtrack, the Eagles are four and five trailing at the half in 2018. So 
I'm in a sports book in, in Atlantic City, and, you know, the consensus is the Skins are going to the playoffs and the Eagles suck. Uh, it's like a huge oh shit moment. And then the sequence, right? I mean, they come right out of the half, and uh, this is just what I would expect from Doug Peterson. You know, you put the fire out by running the football. Uh, you feed Sproles right off the bat. He looks great, by the way, to be 45 years old coming off the couch right before camp. You get that big O-line, the best in the league in rhythm. Sanders looks good, the draft pick. You get Alshon involved. That 75-yard drive is the biggest of the day. And then the defense starts imposing their will. It gets loud. Graham makes a play. Fletch makes a play. There's a penalty. It's third and 20. Field gets flipped. Another Deshaun bomb, right? And then Keenum misses a sure touchdown on a shot, and there's like three drops, and you're like, okay, this game's over. And it was just over just like that. And the second half was a different story. And, you know. Yeah, the Keenum numbers, like you look back on it and you go, okay, all right. So Keenum had that crazy Minnesota run. Because you keep going like, this guy starts for a lot of teams. And you always wonder, do coaches watch film of them going, oh, we got this. Like, we can fix this. Like, this is pretty good. Or like, hey, we've been bad at quarterback. Let's just at least be average. And then he was below average with Denver. And so they move on from him. They bring in Flacco to hope that's an improvement. And then yeah. you're looking at Keenum and you go, this dude threw it 44 times for 380 against the Eagles. And yet well, I, yeah. it, it ended it ended the way it was supposed to end because Wentz ends up reminding you of why he almost won an MVP a couple years ago. And I, I would put, you know, as, as an observer, I'd, I'd ask you this, like as great as Brady is, I think Brady, Brady's greatness is mobility in the pocket, knowing the call, adaptability, but on just throws, like he's spectacular with throws being like, okay, this is like an end zone seam and I need to put it on his left shoulder as opposed to his right shoulder. And, like, he can do that no, as well as yeah, anybody. yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas Carson, Wentz, Carson, Carson is a guy that makes you say, holy shit, three, four times right, a game. Right. Carson, I think Russell Wilson, certainly Rodgers with just throws with bad form and just all arm and all that kind of stuff. Like, Wentz, to me, is up there with the rarity of throw. And he had a bunch of those in the second half. You're like, okay, all right, yep, here we go again. And everything, like, looked right again for Philadelphia. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, you talk about Keenum. Keenum is a stopgap plus. Like, I think of him as a starting quarterback, but you have to have the right pieces around him. And on the positive end, you know, Washington, uh, after this loss, will clean themselves up, and they got a pretty good defense. And Keenum has probably a better offensive line than he ha than he had when he made that run. I mean, definitely a better offensive line than when he made that run that ended in Philly at the NFC Championship game in 17. I mean, that offensive line was poor. Um, you know, I think he he actually has more around him than you'd think. Uh, but it really was more about the Eagles deciding that they wanted to commit to the run game in the second half. They were north of 100 yards. Uh, they committed to it. A trend here, though, with the Eagles is that generally they start slow in that first quarter. Uh, they got to start faster. Last year, I think they averaged like 2.6 points a game in the first quarter, per quarter in the first. And you have to start faster. And since 2014, uh, they they've been outscored uh, 74 to 42 in the first half of openers. Uh, and and in the second half, 125 to 24, they've outscored opponents. So there's definitely a trend going on here. I don't know what it is, but it's something they got to rectify. But Carson adding Deshaun Jackson uh, is the biggest story of the day. He uh, he's only behind Jerry Rice when it comes to uh, touchdown catches of fifty yards or more. I think Rice has thirty six. He has thirty one. And guess who he's two ahead of is Randy Moss. So this guy at his age should be able to take the top off the defense. You have to decide whether you want to play single high or too deep. You play single high, he's going to kill you. 
and you play too deep, take care of Deshaun, worry more about those shots, they'll, they'll bleed you underneath. And in the second half, uh, you know, Ertz was targeted a lot more. They got the run game going more. Um, and that just looked more like them. So I think in Philly, running back still a bit of a concern. You saw they tried to trade for Gordon even after grabbing um, Howard from Chicago. They actually tried to send him over to San Diego. Uh, so I don't know if they don't love Howard. They're still looking for that answer, that first and second down back with a home run threat. I think they like the draft pick. They still need somebody at corner to emerge and play better. You know, just having numbers there doesn't mean that you've got it figured out. Um, but I like a lot of those young players. And uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be a big year for Carson Wentz, however it comes down. Um, you know, adding that piece to uh, him being able to take the top off the defense, being healthier, being slimmer this year, changing his workout routine. Uh, pretty cool day for Carson Wentz. And uh, also a great day for Brandon Brooks. Achilles in the playoff game. 360-pound man. And he's back on the field playing well week one. Uh, other injury news, Malik Jackson seems to have somewhat of a serious injury MRI today. So we'll see what happens there. But the Eagles, the sky is the limit for them. Clement didn't get a carry yesterday. I'd keep an eye on that as well, though. Right. Um, and for those who don't remember, Corey had that huge catch in, uh, in the Super Bowl. So that's real. We know the Pats part's real. We know Philly looking good feels real uh, based on expectations. The biggest thing of the early part of the day was Lamar Jackson, who I don't right. know. I'm going to point this out because no one will ever get this trivia question. The highest rated quarterback for Baltimore yesterday was actually RG3. Oh, RG3, the, who, by the way, RG outlasted Andrew Luck. How about that? That would have been something. Although I still don't know if this is 100% done with Andrew Luck. Um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. But RG3 ended up 6-6. Right, right. RG3 with a 99.7 QBR, which is 0.3% away, not point, yeah, 0.3 away, not percent, away from being perfect. Lamar was a 99.4. Lamar, 17-20, five touchdowns. He could have kept going. They put up 59 points on the Dolphins. And as somebody who sat here on this podcast going, you know, this, this a running approach with him in Baltimore collectively as they changed our offense on the fly, credit to Harbaugh, that entire staff, and they get into the playoffs, and I'm like, okay, but what exactly is this? Like, let's not fall for the one-loss record the way we did with the beginning of Flacco's career, and what are we really getting out of Lamar? And then I felt like against San Diego, excuse me, God, I can't stop doing that with the Chargers. Against the L.A. Chargers in that playoff game, Dude, we had, a, we, had a fine, we had a fine system in our locker room. Every time a coordinator said San Diego, he got fined. Okay, so well, let's go. It happens five in bucks. NFL locker room. Five Five bucks yeah. for me right now. So okay. he wasn't he wasn't good in that game. They were, they were down 23-3. He put up a couple touchdowns late with like six minutes left. And so we're going, okay, what do we have out of Lamar? What do we actually – and then it turns into the biggest highlight show of any game. It's the deep throws. It's Hollywood Brown. It's slants underneath. And yeah. I'm, I'm sitting here going, I hope this is who he is, but – I can't help but get over the fact that half the Dolphins that played in the game asked for a trade, apparently, in the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, and first off, when are we doing the Is RG3 back segment? I thought I think we just did it. Could they get a first rounder okay. for him? <laughs> That's right up your alley. Uh, side story, when we got all those picks for RG3 in St. Louis and we went to play Washington um, at Washington, a game which we won, I told Jeff Fisher he should trot out all the players that, um, that was you? we got in the trade. Yeah. Yeah, it was like 30 minutes before the game. I said, hey, Fish. He's like, what's up? I'm like, 
I got an idea. He's like, I'm all ears, buddy. And I told him not <laughs> expecting him to do it. But he was like, I, I love the idea, but that means y'all got to go out and play well. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, what have we gotten ourselves into? Of course, we got him play well. But I think when you look at um, Lamar, there's two separate conversations having that people are conflating. And it becomes really hard. There's obviously the the conversation of which stemmed from the draft process. You know, is he a quarterback? Which I think is a conversation that we're past, right? We should be. Um, the question is, is he this guy? You know, is he this guy uh, for 16 weeks? Obviously, he's not going to put up 62 um, or whatever part he played in 62 points against the lowly Dolphins every week. But is he a guy who can consistently... Uh, keep your offense two-dimensional. I think the jury's still out. Man, I think he's worked really hard in the offseason. Again, we talked about this earlier. He's seen improvement, um, and he's a guy that seems to work his ass off and wants to develop. I think if you're the Ravens, you're excited. Uh, But if if, if we're asking straight out, is that production real, I don't know yet. And that's not any disrespect to Lamar because I think we are well past that conversation, which was sort of silly. Uh, and that should he be playing another position? Um, and, One guy uh, kind of said it. I, you know, honestly, I, I think I think this has turned into this thing that was like the entire landscape was saying that he should change position. Bill Polian suggested to ask him to work out. He he may have been more first, forceful in it. And now I think it's turned into like sometimes I think about these public arguments, Chris, and I think like a Matthew. They Stafford. turn into straw man. The straw right, man. Right. They turn into no, a straw man conversation. Certainly, but then I also think like sometimes the argument goes on for so long that it's like, hey, do we remember what the original argument was about? Like Matthew Stafford is a perfect example, and I think we could put together like a long list of these kinds of arguments. The argument isn't Matthew Stafford is awesome versus Matthew Stafford sucks. It's kind of like I think one side is arguing, saying, hey, he's not top five, and the other side's like saying, we never said he was top five. Yeah, we just said he he was a top half of the league or a top 10 quarterback, a fringe top 10 guy, yeah. Yeah, because I think the Lamar argument isn't this this massive number of people saying he can only be a wide receiver. I think it's all the people that watched the throws last year, watched him at Louisville. I'm certainly one of those guys that watched a majority of him going, I don't know if it's going to work because it was so inconsistent. Open throws, plenty of time, airmail it at Louisville. And I thought I saw some of that from him in his rookie year. And then you look at this and you go, hey, I'm not. I'm not anti him. I just don't know what it is, but I'm yeah. not, I don't want him to line up in the slot either. So then it became yeah. this, oh, hey, you know, all you guys that want to play receiver, like how many people want to, like maybe he did what a lot of other quarterbacks do, put in a ton of work, tighten up the, tighten it all up and, and figure it out. It's just sometimes that, you know, when QBs are inaccurate, they're always going to be inaccurate and spare me the completion percentage stuff. Here's the thing about coaching and development in the NFL. It's not as good as you think it would be. And it's not all it's cracked Why up not? to be. And I can't imagine, well, because coaches, uh, <laughs> They're batting about, I don't know, 300 uh, at, at being really effective and being teachers. Um, and I don't know what that's like in um, a quarterback room, but uh, that's what it's like in a D-line room. And uh, I know that in my 11 years, I've seen a revolving door of quarterback coaches. Um, I'd have to go back and look at how many quarterback coaches I've had on teams I've been on, but it's got to be closer to 11 than it is five. Um so I think just in general, you have to be wary of assuming that players are going to develop because they get in front of these these um, these pro coaches. And whatever they're doing in Baltimore, they certainly haven't taken a step back. So I'm happy for Lamar. I think uh, he certainly has some doubters. I do think there is a straw man element to, you know, we are past that 
that discussion that people were having about should he play a different position. Um, I think at this point you want to see if he's a guy who can possibly propel them to win the AFC North because as it looks right now, uh, it is wide open. You know what the best part of fall is? I don't even have to say it. We know it's football. That's why you're listening to this podcast. That's why I have a job. I know I'm personally going to be glued to my couch all season. And if you are too, you deserve the best couch out there. It's a burrow. These are customizable. If you have a room that you can't figure out, if you're like me and you've moved a bunch of times and you're just not sure how things are going to fit and then you buy the thing and you're like, it'll work, it'll work because you're a dude and you're stubborn and maybe your wife is like, I don't think it's going to work and you're like, it'll work and then it didn't work and she was right and then you're shamed for an entire week, maybe even longer, maybe the rest of your life, maybe she leaves you. You can avoid all of that by just going to Burrow. Burrow sofas can handle even the rowdiest game day hangs with their kiln-dried Baltic birch frames and durable fabric that's now naturally scratch and stain resistant and burrow is totally customizable so you get your fabric color leg finish armrest style and length if you want a chase lounge or an ottoman too you can get them and these sofas also have built-in usb chargers which makes it great because you know how you're always trying to mess with the cord and it's over the top of the back and it's a little too short and then you got to unplug it every time you want to look at just a text message and burrow offers free one week shipping so you can have your new sofa all set up by next week's game so, like I said, I figured out the room, I figured out the combos, I figured out the style, the look, and everything I wanted to make it work from. I sit there, I watch football, I'm able to plug in and keep my phone right there, and I went with a darker color because even though I don't have kids or a dog, one day I may. And I just want to be prepared with a more scratch-resistant, darker-looking color in case it's the dog or it's that I adopt somebody and that kid loves using markers. So, this football season, don't settle for your same old couch. Settle into a comfy new Burrow sofa. Get $75 off a new sofa and free one-week shipping at burrow.com slash dual. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash dual for $75 off a new sofa. Okay, well then, let's transition into the other AFC North theme that everybody loved here, and that's Cleveland. Disaster on opening day. All the hype in the world. I only left him out of the playoffs because of stubbornness, even though I looked at the roster and went, hey, these guys are good. And you know what? Like, There's something to Baker. The way he gets the ball out, the way he moves in and out of the pocket. I'm not talking about his – like, to me, mobility for a quarterback isn't how many times can you run on a zone read. It's how many times can you it's avoid pressure. how do you pressure. move in the pocket. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Like, Brady's one of the most mobile I've ever seen. And when I say that, people roll their eyes like I'm just high. And I go, well, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not talking to like – you know – an end well, you're, you're, you're getting into you're doing semantics you know right, you're right, like well right. you know yeah we're just right, using right. different words and and to your point i mean matt stafford's not that fast but yesterday i watched him move in the pocket pretty well so um, that's it right right and i, I see that yeah. from baker okay i see that from baker and then they lose to a titans team that i never feel that great about 43 13 they had 20 penalties called on cleveland 18 accepted the most since 1951 and this is this is what happens they send the number one cbs team Romo, Nance, all the hype, mm. all the national games, all the talk all summer long, and they were all a part of it. Freddie Kitchens, when they had that practice with the Colts, they got in the skirmish, and they thought Kitchens was going out there to help break it up, and he started yelling at Colts players and saying, let's do this, and then when you're getting your ass kicked, I start to worry about coordinator face because I go, man, Freddie mm -hmm. Kitchens really has coordinator face. But hey, one mm -hmm. point I thought Doug Peterson had coordinator face, and, and it worked out for him, so let's not worry about coordinator face. But right. it was... It was <laughs> Doug, Doug does it, not... <laughs> No, but I thought at one point he was. I'm trying to think. I like, like the term. I like the term, though. I mean, but the funny thing about yesterday was, 
you know, they scored on their opening drive of the season for the first time great. since, I guess it was like 95. Uh, and, and by the time I turn on the TV to catch that game, uh, it's sloppy. And, you know, I got Brown, Browns fans are surrender, surrender cobraing like in the third quarter, uh, as if they just lost the Super Bowl. Cause I think they know that they got out ahead of, in front of their skates a little bit in Cleveland, everybody. And, um, you know, to me, quite frankly, I still think that until somebody proves that they're as consistent as the Steelers in the division, they're the team to beat. Even the way last night it looked, uh, although I will say it looks a little bit more, more wide open than I thought. Uh, but, but, you know, listen, we put a lot of stake in Baker. I really like Baker. Second half of the year, they were, they were a little bit more electric, and you just think things automatically translate, and there's no such thing as a sophomore slump. Uh, but these things are risks, and um, their offensive line is a unit that's just been largely uh, effectively anno- ignored. So uh, there, there's, there, there are certainly holes in what they do. I love their front uh, defensively, ton of studs there. Uh, but when you're going to play that sloppy, uh, you know, you don't have a chance to beat damn near anybody in the NFL. And it, it's one of two games this weekend that I thought became so much about the team that was disappointing that we, we forgot to talk about the team that won. I mean, Tennessee, man, you said it. I can't stand Tennessee. I think it's because they came back from 20 down and beat us last year. And they're just generally, a boring physical team to watch that finds a way to win. Um, that's kind of got this identity of their head coach, uh, who's who's one of the only guys from New England uh, that go elsewhere and seem to be having any success. But um, you got to give it to the Titans, man. I, I thought they were, um, I thought they were dominant. Big shout out to Delaney Walker coming back from uh, dislocated ankle, scoring two touchdowns. Who doesn't look like he's lost a lot. Speaking of old tight ends, Vernon Davis had a big day yesterday, so shout out to him again. Um, hey, by the way, but there I are think, people watching that Vernon Davis highlight that were like, "What a baby!" Vernon Davis? No, but like Vernon Davis. They, oh yeah, yeah. Well, there were two things. There was the there were people watching like, "Wait, Vernon Davis is still playing." Uh, and by the way, I got a lot of respect for Vernon. He was me and him exchanged so much CTE in uh, San Francisco. Uh, at the old Candlestick Park and at the Edward Jones Dome in in, in St. Louis, I, I got infinite respect for that guy, and he's a great guy. So I'm really happy for him, and obviously with the loss of a loved one, being able to uh, kind of put that highlight reel play together and his emotions, he just let him go. And I, it was funny. I was in the sports book, and some people were like, "What's wrong with this guy? He's soft." I'm like, "You might want to wait a second and see what's up." And then the story came out that he had lost somebody, and he was emotional about that. So uh, I just think in Tennessee. You look at it with the injury to Nick Foles, which is going to cost the Jaguars probably six to eight weeks. Uh, the impromptu retirement of uh, Andrew Luck, um, and really a lot of question marks in Houston. In my eyes, it opens the door for them uh, the way they look, and they're a team that I was really low on this year. And I think I think uh, I got partial because I don't like them, uh, but but you got to respect them. Um, yeah, right. I mean that part of it. I seriously think there was there's so many guys every now and then that week one you go wait a minute you know is that guy there but I, I think there were probably people at sports books going oh why are they running oh seven highlights like what's going on here? yeah You're like no, yeah no, he's what's, still what's the deal I didn't league. know Vernon Did Davis you, was with the Skins I I, I had a follow up on this did you just call Vrabel boring 
Well, no, I don't think he's boring, but the style of play, uh, it's it's got some New England fingerprints on it. Uh, you know, I think they're a little bit limited with what they do offensively because of Mariota, and, uh, and sometimes that's frustrating to watch. But they seem like they're trying to settle into this identity. And uh, I know they've been 9-7 and seven a good bit, but um, I, think, uh, I think they're a team whose ceiling's higher than I thought this year. I don't, I don't think they're a contender team because at the end of the day, it's just like with Pittsburgh we find out last night that they still can't beat the Patriots. Uh, I don't see them making a run in the playoffs and beating the Chiefs or, or, or the Patriots. Uh, but they can hang with just about anybody else because of – their identity and what they do. Um, so yeah, I mean, AFC South also kind of a, a shit show a little bit right now. Um, and and the Colts game had a bunch of interesting takeaways as well. With okay, so so give the, me yeah, give me your Colts thing and give me your AFC South thing because I feel like you know we always do kind of overlook Tennessee and then you do look down and you're like, oh shit, the record is better than I thought it would be. They're um, always going to be right. They're always going to be right in it. Um, and 10 and six generally is in the neighborhood of what you need to, to win that division, I believe. Uh, but gosh, if you're the Colts, um, you got to be kind of frustrated and kind of really happy with the way that game went uh, yesterday. Listen, most people look at um, most people look at the Chargers as a contender team. And two weeks after the impromptu retirement of Andrew Luck, they go there and take him to overtime. Um, our boy, Jacoby Brissett, starts off 5 of 5 for 49 yards, hitting five different receivers, ends up 21 of 27 for 190 and two TDs. He looks incredibly poised. Um, the tight ends, there's a little lag in production, which might have something to do with Andrew or uh, you know, a little bit of adjustment. Two for 28 yards combined. That includes Ebron. Uh, but T.Y. was automatic, like nine targets, eight catches, 100 yards. But here's the biggest takeaway I, I have from that game is that, one, Marlon Mack is, is a stud, goes for about 175. But they they had a bunch of self-inflicted wounds. Uh, Autry was lined up over the center uh, on the field goal block unit the first drive, I think it was, and the Chargers turn what would have been a field goal then into a touchdown because of the subsequent first down. Uh, they get... A touchdown to Ebron, call back, overturned. Um, they miss two field goals and an extra point. Vinatieri does that. Like, this stuff just doesn't happen. Uh, they get a, a punt partially blocked and, uh, in general, just shot themselves in the foot. Uh, and, and the worst one of all, which feels terrible to a D lineman, is their offsides on a strip sack uh, and somebody else's strip get, st- sack gets negated because Houston's a little early and, and, uh, and then two plays later, I think it was, uh, the Chargers go in and score. So all that stuff doesn't happen, and they are getting after the Chargers' asses a little bit. And so it's impressive. I think Frank Wright, uh, who people didn't give enough credit for his job he did in, in the Super Bowl year in Philly, uh, you talk to Colts players, they love him. They'll play for him. And he's the guy that can get him through this. They'll be in that mix at the end of the year too, no doubt about it. All right, you mentioned something about the expatriates other than um, Vrabel having, having a bad day and none worse than Matt Patricia with Detroit. So they're yeah. a first down away from sealing this game. Kyler Murray and the air raid from Texas looks absolutely terrible in the first half. I make a joke between Baker's game and Kyler's game that I was like, maybe Jalen Hurts isn't going to go number one now. 
um, now at Oklahoma <laughs> under Lincoln Riley. And, you know, look, Jalen Hurts isn't going to go number one no matter what he does at Oklahoma. Um, and the Kyler no, stuff, there's, the, there's always the way, this thing. He played, he played really well, but how many yards after catch were there that opening game against Houston? Anyways. What, Jalen? Yeah, Jalen put up insane numbers. Like, he's, he's I, going I to love put great numbers. Right, right. I love I just Jaylen. don't think. I just think there's a different level of of reading that Kyler and, and Baker have had. And, and you know, who knows? Look, with Lincoln Riley, the way everybody – the way people talk about Lincoln Riley behind the scenes, I was just like, this guy – like, I know this sounds nuts, but it's it's kind of Saban, Dabo, and then if you had your third pick of anyone in college football to run your organization, it, Lincoln would be the highest Well, I mean, he, he looks exactly like these guys that are getting jobs. <laughs> he, 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 he looks physically unimposing. Um, you know, looks like he could be a young kicker in the NFL, um, and could join the ranks of you know a McVay or uh, your your guy down Cliff in Arizona or Lafleur. McVay's uh, McVay's got a little shoulder on him though. Like you stand next to McVay, and so let me uh, ask you this then: Yeah, who who wins who wins in a fight, Mortal Kombat style, um, in a tournament? If you put Lincoln. Because we'll just we'll just throw him in the mix as an incumbent. I don't like his offensive. chances with this thing starting already. I'm sorry. But, okay, so you you got Lincoln. Right. Let's see it. Lincoln fights Cliff and gets the winner of uh, Sean and Lafleur. I think Sean mops the floor with Lafleur. Whoa! Who do you have? That was that's about you, as anti Lafleur as. Uh, Cliff is gonna look. I'm not gonna pick Lincoln to beat anybody. Maybe Kellen yeah. Moore if Kellen Moore is a head coach here. Oh at, yeah, at some Kellen point. Moore. Kellen Moore's got potential here. I I think McVeigh McVeigh seems aggressive. No, like, McVeigh is aggressive. Like I've I've seen him, and he's got a little shoulder thing, and he kind of gets into you when he talks to you, not in a bad way. He makes a real connection with you personally. At least that's how I is felt. He like a, he, is it like a strong handshake guy? I mean, I've shook his hand, yeah. but did you remember? Yeah, you know, is it good? Firm. He's assertive. He looks you right in the eye. He may have been a little oh, intimidated by me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I know he's probably not I, around. Used to being around tons of huge guys, but whatever. I think I think he comes out of that field, and and we got into the the Mayock thing. Not to go down this no, this hypothetical please do. path, but we got into this thing with w- because Mayock almost fought AB. Uh, <laughs> if if you if you listen to the rumblings out of Oakland, I was like, I think Mayock's a top five GM when it comes to fighting to the death. I. I like him over almost anybody but like John Lynch and Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas would just smother people. Okay, Joe Douglas, it's like not even it's not even fair. Um, but we need to do that. I think you're overrating Mayock. I think there's there's age there. I think you're kind of falling for the the cadence in his language a little bit. <laughs> the cadence. You know, <laughs> like there was that there was that piece, I forget who did it at ESPN, but they did that whole thing on Belichick. And my favorite part of it was one anonymous other front office guy going, Hey, when did he become a fucking tough guy? You were an offensive lineman at like yeah. Wesleyan. And yep. you know, like who who were you fighting? Who were you getting when were you beating well, up? Well, evidently, ev- I, I don't know that I know of any any specific hand-to-hand combat situations, but Listen, for me, everything's word of mouth. And my dad, at a certain time, I believed, and most kids believe their dad could beat anybody up, but my dad could beat up most people. Your dad uh, actually was, could beat up most people. Yeah, he's a total <laughs> badass. And he gave Mike the badass stamp of approval because he knew Mike Whoa. from... Yeah, because he knew Mike from when Mike... Uh, I think Mike hosted him on a visit. At uh, BC? And 
I think it was BC. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was. It this was. is back when when BC wanted my dad to play guard, uh, and I think he was so scarred from that that ego blow that he told me that I wasn't athletic enough to play defensive end in one one in single A football, and I had to work on my guard set. So that's uh. That's how the Mayock thing went down, uh, and and he's and he he says Mayock is a is a badass dude. So I, I like Mayock in the top five. Because um, not to name drop, but I'm, I guess I'm allowed to if I was there and you were there. But when you went to bed and your father and I stayed up and watched an episode of West Wing at your house, we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about him growing up in Charlestown and his thoughts yeah. of of our favorite movie the town and i was like look i, I i'm i'm left out of this conversation I, I lived in a part of austin and i was in my 20s and like it wasn't i'm not a i get overrated as a boston guy even though i lived there and i grew up okay wait a minute steve kime well he well, he, he wanted to pull he wanted to pull you in and, and and get some common ground on like yeah you remember all those you know those tough places and you were kind of like yeah uh <laughs> not I mean, really listen <laughs> my dad like you know, my dad was from a rough area and my dad was a tough, tough kid growing up. And, um, you know, he talked about how dangerous Charlestown was. And when I was with the Pats, I was like, I had one off day. I went to the city maybe three times when I was with the Pats. I drove up there one day on an off day. You're more of an Attleboro drive. guy anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more of an Attleboro guy. Provo. Really like Provo. Uh, I, I think that the the ride, I thought I was lost. I was like, well, here's the Bunker Hill Monument, but these are all like, this is the most yuppie place I've ever been. Uh, and I call my dad and I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck happened to Charlestown? This isn't the place that you described. Are you full of it? Or he's like, man, it's, it's, it's changed. And, and everybody's getting, you know, triple value for their house now. It's like, so, um, gentrification has hit Charlestown. Okay. Well, uh, all that, all that's accurate there, but I didn't have a lot. I just sort of nodded my head a lot and was like, yeah, no doubt. No, I remember that spot. And I, I felt like I was just playing along because I didn't want to offend your dad. All right. So if your dad signs off on Mayock, that gives Mayock way more street cred than he would have had. That's going to be the biggest thing exactly. from this podcast is that Mayock street cred. But let's not leave out. Um, yeah, we're not going to put Belichick at the top of the tough guy power rankings there. What about John Dorsey? No, I don't, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think Belichick's afraid to die, which is dangerous. That's true. And that was kind of my Dimitrov thing. I know he's smaller than a lot of guys, but his cardio, he's going to be oh, yeah. he's going to be going all day. That guy. He's like definitely a, a guy who counts right. his steps every day. Absolutely. Peloton sent him the bike that you can't even get. Uh no, Elway's, he's got a Peloton in every room of his house which which is undoubtedly, you know, um mid-century modern decor, really sharp interior, uh, and he's got a Peloton everywhere. And maybe even like an architecture setup with a T square, but it's just a hobby, and it's off yeah. to the side. He just <laughs> so, he's just doing. So, he's like, so I'm working where, on it. Where were we? What on this this podcast? We I just want. I'm going through all the GMs quick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you got any about, other entries? I'm Elway. You think you're going to knock out Elway with one punch? No, Elway. Elway's jaw is made of like. It's just calcified. Yeah, right. Um, so good luck. Good luck beating on him. And then you did mention, because we didn't do this because we didn't mention him, but John Lynch is probably ranked number one. Uh, I'm, I'm still taking, listen, total animal on the football field. Just because Joe Douglas wasn't a pro. I mean, he was a college player. 
who's uh, who's an imposing guy. I mean, he's a guy that looks like he walks around with the guy that has a lot of money and will make people go away. Um, and I, another thing is Howie Roseman. Somebody asked me where where does Howie Roseman sit in this conversation? I said he sits in his office because let's not <laughs> let's not rank Howie Roseman. Howie's gonna he's my guy, but he's gonna be low. He's gonna be low. I don't. I think he'd tell you that. Um, you know, him against Joe Douglas is a bad matchup. I, I want to throw Les Snead in there, though. Um, he's, a, he's, a little bit, he's a little bit off his rocker. Oh, no kidding, because I would say he's more sinewy than he is a size guy, but I see him out here all the time. He's paddleboarding. I don't question his cardio at all. I think, and I've even said this, I go, do you think because you look like Thor, there's a higher expectation that you're just going to be successful? And I think there's a <laughs> chance you're buying into the Thor theory. I, I no, I think what I'm buying into is his heart rate doesn't deviate from like 50 beats a minute in any dangerous situation. I just don't think he, I don't think you can you can move him easily. He might get his ass kicked by Joe Douglas, but he's not going to be afraid at all. I'm totally cool with the Joe Douglas ranking. He actually was at Richmond okay. with McShay, so yeah, um, total, I'm total to stud get, and and a yeah. great guy. But I'm going to have to get the, to if Joe the, Douglas. If the guy right with now. money says somebody needs to go away, Joe makes him go away. Perfect. Okay, we're going to get your best plane ride home and worst plane ride home in a second with Chris Long here. But first, from CBS Sports HQ, this episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast with Chris Long is brought to you by CBS Sports HQ. If you watch much football coverage on TV, you know it's full of a bunch of dudes yelling at each other and throwing out hot takes. They probably don't even believe themselves. Tearing players down and throwing out massive overreactions are part of the course. Well, CBS HQ is here to change that. They're a 24-hour streaming sports network that's just focused on the game with highlights, news, stats, game previews, game reactions, fantasy advice, and gambling picks no fake debates no politics no made-up drama it's just sports for real sports fans even better it's free seriously you can watch cbs sports hq 24 hours a day seven days a week totally free and no i don't mean free for a week or a month or if you already have some special cable package it's completely free for everybody you don't even need a login just open the cbs sports app and watch anytime anywhere on your phone or at home on your Apple TV, Roku, or Fire TV. It couldn't be easier, so download the CBS Sports app and watch CBS Sports HQ today. I also have an awesome um, Austin sideline story for you from Texas LSU that I have to end the podcast with. That I, I don't think I've shared this with you yet. So well, please tell me it's McConaughey. So we'll it get is to McConaughey that. related. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. Yes. Okay, give me. This could be a good way of doing what was the best win, worst loss thing. Because sometimes we used to do it yeah. before the weekend. We could do whatever you want on this podcast. No rules. Yeah. What would be the worst no, plane no to rules, be on? No rules, just right. And, and, yeah, exactly. But then I want I want a story from you on your worst plane ride ever as a, as a professional football player. Oh, shit. Uh, God, there have been so many. Uh, let me start with hmm, worst plane ride ever. I don't know if this was the worst plane ride ever, but coincidentally, it was after a tie. Um, 2012. We go play the Niners, who were absolute bullies against the rest of the league, but couldn't bully us because of our That's front right. and just that. the way yeah. and the way Fish coached with physicality. And it was ironic. I think we went four and four, one and one in the in the division that year, and missed the playoffs by a sizable margin. And along the way, are beating teams like Seattle and and uh, and uh, sweeping. Uh, well, splitting with the the Niners. So we go up there, Frank Gore, you know, Anthony Davis, IU Potty, 
um, you know, Staley, big guys, you know, power running game, which is all but gone in the NFL now, counter power, Vernon Davis, Delaney Walker, they were stacked. Um, and we're getting after him. We knock Alex Smith out of the game. Um, we concuss him. And next thing you know, this skinny guy with a fro trots out on the field. And we're like, who's this guy? And uh, their offense just catches fire. Uh, of course, it's Colin. Um, and I played one of the better games for sure of that year um, and was all over the place. And at the end of the game, we tie him, and I just don't know what to think. And I've never been a part of a tie, so I get on the plane, and naturally I tie one on, and I've got, um, you know, Captain Morgan or whatever, Crown Apple, whatever's the, the D-line drink of choice, and I'm just housing it, and I'm getting <laughs> on the bus afterwards when you get off the plane. Because, of course, when you're drinking on a plane, you get drunker, and then when you're drinking and you're completely dehydrated and you played 70 snaps, you're – your wrist to be blackout pretty quick. So I'm, I'm getting on the bus and I hit two steps and face plant <laughs> right in front of the driver. And I look up to look at the driver and I'm looking and I see that Jeff Fisher's sitting right there. Uh, and fish just looks at me. And he said, well, you played great buddy. And, uh, pat me on the back <laughs> and I go back to the back of the bus. And, uh, that was probably, that was my one post tie plane ride. Um, and just shows you how cool fish was. Uh, but Arizona last night seems like Detroit's best chance to get out to a fast start. I mean, you really don't know what Arizona's offense is going to look like. I think they're definitely in a rebuilding phase. Even if you like Kyler Murray, uh, even with his progression late in the game, by the way, he's 14 to 17 for 154 and two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, so you see how he grew through the game. Imagine how he's going to grow through a season. And one thing he's always been is really even keeled. I mean, you look back at the uh, the playoff game, uh, I think it was against Bama. Was it Bama? Yeah, Bama. So, so I mean, you look back at like the Bama game, I mean, and he's he's just powering through it and he, he, he's got an even keel the entire game. And you saw the same thing in his first pro start. By the way, of all the question marks about a Detroit team that I think is going to be a lot better than people realize this year, I like what they did in the, in the offseason with Daniels, with uh, Trey Flowers, um, with their front. You know, obviously Snacks last year in the trade. Uh, you know, they've got Slay on defense. They picked up a guy that kind of fits that, that Belichick mold at backer out of Hawaii, and I think it was the second round. I think their defense which was really good the second half of last year, will pick up where they left off. So Kyler making those strides against a defense like that is impressive to me. But on the flip side, this loss was, or this tie was as much a loss uh, for Detroit as it was a tie because you had to get out and start fast and, and pick up some confidence on the road with a new coordinator uh, who in Bevel who made Stafford look pretty good through much of the game. Uh, but how about Bevel in that timeout? I mean... Everybody saw it. Matty P said, or um, Stafford saying, trust me. And the timeout gets called anyways. And I guess there's some, some, some talk that it was, it was Bevel who called the timeout. And it uh, was, it sh- I mean, yeah, unless, it was, they, it was, unless they got it from somebody else, but you saw the replay from that far side. Um, yeah. So, and at the end of the day, I think Patricia has to sign off on that timeout, but how about Bevel giving the Patriots a ring a few years back? Uh, 
And then you sign him and he probably costs you a huge opportunity at a road win to start off the season. Uh, the juxtaposition of, of, of that relationship with Matty P, uh, you know, because obviously famously he didn't run the ball with Marshawn. Can I jump in on that real uh, quick? Can I, can I know this is completely unpopular. It's far more popular to think that Seattle's and like even Lawrence Tynes today is, is making fun of Pete Carroll saying he beat Seattle in the Super Bowl with clock timeout game management, all those things lined up. They had to throw the ball at least once. They were going to have to throw the ball. Like, I get that if you just hand it off to Marshawn, it's, everybody's giving you the automatic that he waltzes into the end zone, which hadn't happened on the previous tackle with Hightower clipping his feet and making an incredible play. But there was going to have to be a throw likely in the progression of plays there, but it's far more fun to say that it was the worst most, play most call dangerous, in the most da- Yeah, but most dangerous place to put the ball down on the goal line is uh, is right in that slant window with a – with the timing throw, the ball, you know, it was a bullet. You know, Malk caught it, but that ball could go up in the air, a whole host of things. And I also like just buying into that lore because I think coordinators are extremely arrogant. Um, so I'm a little bit partial to heaping it on the coordinators when they just don't do the right thing. It's kind of like uh, Shanahan in the Super Bowl um, against the Pats. They throw the ball when they should have just ran the ball and the game's practically over after Julio catches the ball on the sidelines. But they hold me, Trey has a sack, and they're out of field goal range. And if not, I think an entire legacy is is altered in in Atlanta. And we're talking about Matt having a chance to be a Hall of Famer. As uh, crazy as that sound as that might sound to some people, he's uh, he's gunning for all their franchise records, and he's probably got a ring. Well, you don't have to explain that. I'm a very. This has been a very pro Matt Ryan podcast over the years. Although they looked, oh, has it? They looked terrible. Yeah, I'm a big, um, yeah. you know. Uh, so that plane, that plane ride had weird. to suck. That, yeah, that With plane ride had one? to suck bad. Yeah, it had to be. Listen, because the time change, the length of the flight in Arizona, you're like a long ass way from the from the airport. Um, you know, after losses, it just drags out. When you're out on the West Coast, man, you better win those games, especially the Sunday night games, because you're gonna pull in about six seven a.m. Uh, you know, I'm sure that was a two three a.m. night for for the guys on the Lions, but the way they lost it, the timeout, letting them back in the game, letting a rookie quarterback back in the game. Uh, you know, Amendola, who had a great game, my boy Dola, uh, looks like he's got a lot of juice left in the tank, couldn't get out of bounds on that two-minute situation. And then uh, and then Stafford, this is right after I explained to Lions fans on Twitter that they might be different this year. Maybe they're just trying to take you to the brink of doing Lions shit, and they're just going to pull out of it and the year will go better. They all reminded me, we're still the Lions, and Stafford tried to throw right the ball right to Brock, uh, and, and he drops it. Otherwise, uh, the, the Cardinals probably win that game. Yeah, that's the scariest thing about that whole deal is that you go, oh, wow, he almost picked it off. You're like, no, no, you would have picked it off and kicked a field goal if he doesn't run it back in. And by the way, the Lions now have the L.A. Chargers, the Eagles, Kansas City, Green Bay, and Minnesota for their next five games. And so. that was the importance of getting off to a fast start there. Obviously, the best plane ride, I think, would be Tennessee. Would you agree? Yeah, because all they had to hear, like, they had to hear about how great the Browns were. I mean, it's what, like, I know how you guys are a little bit. I mean, I'm not trying to say I, I understand how every one of your heads work. But when you're a team like Tennessee that is consistently overlooked, as we've already brought up, and then you hear all summer long how good Cleveland is, and you kick the hell out of them, at their place. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, it's not too long of a flight, so I don't know how loose you're going to get. 
you may be asking. Well, no, I think that's what makes the that's what makes that ride back great because and you it get is to go so to Nashville. Short. You just go to Nashville. So this this factors. You said it. It's a short ride. Your buzz is going to be good when you hit the ground, and you catch an Uber to uh, what do they call that area in Tennessee or in Nashville? Electric Avenue. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Stagecoach? fucking electric. Dirt? I don't know if it's called Electric Avenue, but it is electric. It's a city I haven't spent enough time in, but it is, I can imagine after a win, it's pretty fun going back there. And you just have to feel good about what they just did. I mean, that's a team that seems real tight. You heard Delaney Walker talking about it. He, uh, he was like, uh, they are who we thought they were. You want to crown them? You know, to the, the, uh, the homage to uh, homage. Is this soft H in, in, in homage? It's supposed Does anybody to be. say homage? I don't think they do. I think you do, or you did. Uh, but I've I don't heard Jay Z you... say homage. That's Jay Z. I think his his rules are different, especially if you're a rapper. Like I heard Juvenile end an entire song with "ha" every single line. So <laughs> it's a great I song, though. <laughs> it is a great song. Uh, I'm not sure that there's a ton of rules being followed there. So I think you can actually get away with that one. Had you not self corrected, I think you would have been fine. So don't worry about it. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I I like to self-correct and keep it 100 on this pod. Um, let's talk about things you thought might be real or or, or, or fake coming out of week one, because you know we always overreact. I mean, week one last year, the, the Bucks lit up the Saints to the tune of 48 points. Uh, you look at, like, last year, Indy, Indy's, you know, you let some people tell it, their dog shit told damn near half the season, and then they're everybody's hottest team. Uh, the skins were in front for a lot of the first half of the season. What 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 are you not sure on? What's real? What's not real to you? I'm not sure that the Browns are actually this bad, even though I'm sure everybody wants them to be, and I totally understand the Titans feeling that way. Um, the Ravens, I thought Lamar looked as good as any single player in the NFL yesterday. That was an all-time video game performance, even though I hate using that video game cliche because we've all been doing it 20 years. I just I got to see it a couple more weeks, and I got to see it not against the Dolphins. I think the Vikings yeah. putting up a, a really impressive performance, that's real. Like, I thought the Vikings were one of the best I teams in the yeah. last year. Right. Um, yeah. I expect big things from the Vikings this year. You know, whether that's an NFC title game appearance and all that stuff. Uh, the Eagles thing, we've been over real. Pat's real, all that stuff. What about... See, this is one of my I, favorite I, I, things. I want to I agree with you on the Vikings, and I want to tell you why they're my favorite in that division, and they were before Thursday night. Um Dalvin Cook, everybody's talking about his reemergence and him being healthy. Sure, the running back depth scares you, but if he can stay healthy with the uh, with the addition of Kubiak and Dennison, obviously Kubiak helping the coordinator out and Dennison uh, working with the O line in the run game, they're going to be tough to beat. And uh, I buy what they did yesterday. Um, I still worry about the tackles in protection. Uh, but you got 2,000-yard receivers. You take the pressure off Kirk Cousins. I think everything that we're conditioned to know or think we know about Kirk Cousins, we can toss out the window a little bit more this year because this is the best team he's had in Minnesota. And uh, I think if they get home field, it's it's going to be tough. But long year, a lot of time for him to uh, to regress into Kirk Cousins' form. Uh, but, man, Kubiak, Dennison, Cook being back healthy, I like it. They're the best team off the bus in the NFC North. The Dalvin thing is great because if I think of Dalvin, I go, is he a guy in the league that is 
So this is year three. Um, he played four games his first year, played 11 games last year. I mean, we're talking about somebody that, you know, we know he can catch the ball a little bit too, but 354, 615 goes off yesterday. Is he the, the best bet to finally establish himself, not just as a star, but a superstar dynamic game changing kind of player position? We haven't seen it a ton lately. Like who exists? Like we know how good he is, but he could be reached star status, like Saquon type level. Not saying he's the same player, but that yeah. kind of, oh my God, we get to deal with that guy. Like is he the closest to that of somebody who's actually already been in the league now in his third year? Well, I think he's the biggest opportunistic gain for a team. Uh, I think he fills the biggest void on a team that uh, is otherwise very, very good. And, um, you know, certainly I don't know where he where he stands when it comes to, you know, the top five or ten backs of the league. I think we need more time. You know, obviously, you know, had a, a season-ending injury his rookie year and then a hamstring for, I think, five games last year. We need to see a bigger sample, sample size. But uh, as far as a team that addressed the need with a player, this one could be as impactful as any offensively, uh, certainly in that division, uh, but in general. Yeah, I think that's kind of the exercise here. At the end of the year, we said Dalvin Cook's one of the 10 best offensive impact players in the NFL. I don't think any of us would necessarily be surprised. We just can't possibly say that about him when we're on his third year. We're wondering if this is real or not. Like Sammy Watkins is a different version of this. Like this would be my question about Sammy Watkins now with the Chiefs who went off yesterday and you go, is this the longest it's ever taken a guy to look like the guy we all thought he was going to be when he left college, considering yeah. it's year six? Now, I'm not saying he's well, been he a Well, he showed flashes in Buffalo, yeah, right. but, but yeah, I mean, this, this, I think this is a bit of an anomaly, but you could see a bigger year for him for sure. Um, and but I mean, out. in Minnesota, as much as we're talking about um, Cook, we should be talking about Kubiak. They, they go hand in hand. You know, that zone run scheme really takes a lot of pressure off... Um, off of O-linemen, you know, I mentioned them having some issues historically up front. Um, it also helps moving Kirk in the in the pocket um, and doing some things that are more on brand with what Kubiak does. And I think it's just going to be a big key. Another thing I, another thing I really buy uh, offensively. I mean, we talk about Minnesota's offense. Dallas's offense, man. I mean, so you think that's not real? That even that's even real. after just. Against the Giants, your week one, you're like, Dak looked that good, Kellen Moore, the stuff there. Like, how different is the stuff that they're doing now with Kellen Moore? Well, it's it's way different. Um, I think they're doing, I mean, Kellen Moore, I mean, the guy looks like he's like 23. Um, and nothing makes you feel older that, like, than seeing these young coaches, you know, flourish. Uh, you know, me being 34, these guys are, these guys are babies, but he's on the hottest seat in pro football, and I'm not saying that because his job's on the line. I'm saying that because the Cowboys are still thought of by a lot of people as America's team, and they have a Super Bowl contending quality roster. And the thing that lagged last year, especially before the Amari trade, was the offense. So in comes Kellen Moore. Dak's asking for a contract. And if I'm Dallas, I'm waking up this morning like, hey, this is a good problem to have, but we should have paid this fucking guy a couple days ago. Um, <laughs> because he looked awesome. 
And, uh, and I'm somebody who's doubted Dak at times. I respect him as a leader, as uh, you know, I respect his toughness. I think he's plenty capable. Um, but I didn't see this coming. Uh, he got everybody involved. I saw him take a deep shot to a fullback in the second half. You know, a dude with high blue socks that was playing fullback. He threw the ball 40 yards downfield to this guy. And he's hitting Jarvis, the young tight end, who, by the way, has to be super excited. They love him there. And he gets Witten to kind of tutor him uh, early in his career. They get Witten back for whatever that's worth. They love Gallup. He he was involved in a big way. Um, and you've still got that that piece that made them less one-dimensional late in 18 in Cooper. So you replace Cole Beasley with Randall Cobb, which seems like uh, it could be a relative wash uh, or or have some upside for them. And Zeke was expected to get 25 snaps out of his usual 50, you know, coming off the beach, um, which, by the way, it's, it's, it's astounding to me how talented somebody is and can come off the beach. It's like Clowney hasn't played football in, in months and, and goes right up to Seattle a weekend, and he plays 42 snaps yesterday. Uh, but they didn't have to run the ball, um, and, and, and Dak became the first Cowboy with 400 yards and four touchdowns in a win in franchise history. And the two other times it happened were, were not Troy Aikman. They were Romo losses. Um, and from Dan Arlovsky, who, if you don't follow Dan, he's like one of the best follows if you're trying to learn football, which any retired guy is trying to relearn football. This is the most interesting stat to me. Cowboys use play action pass 47% of the time, and Dak was 14 of 15 with play action. Last year, they were 25% play action, and the Rams led the league at 36%, to put that in perspective. So it, it feels like Kellen Moore unlocked a bit of a Dak cheat code, and I, I am buying it. I mean, they're doing a lot more to move him, RPOs, play action. They did give up 500 on defense. Red zone and turnovers uh, kind of covered that, uh, that pimple for them. And uh, at one point, Saquon was 10 for 107. They got to they gotta fix that. But um, I, I, I buy it. I, I do buy Dallas. Cowboys fans are going to love hearing that one. Um, the play action thing is always funny, though, because I just whenever I see those numbers, you see how successful in the QB ratings and golf, hey, play action versus, you know, other stuff that they're doing. I mean, I understand the difference between play action and non-play action, but you can't just run play action every single play. So, no. you know, I think, I think New England, heavy sets, run it at you a few times. You know, it's that's basically like old school football. What New England did against Pittsburgh. It's let's let's set up the the run here a little bit. Let's bring in extra guys, even though usually those extra guys were blocking tight ends, and now they're just, you know, they've got this offensive line, even though the right tackle went down last night. And then and a, a, a lot sudden, of times you just have to show commitment, not even be that prolific on the ground. Uh, just the threat of a commitment to a running game opens up play action. Right, because you can't, you just can't help yourself sometimes, and you know there's going to be a few guys in your defense, even though they're pros, that they're just going to, you know, not not do, not be as good as other guys. I'm sure there are players that you were teammates with that just had a hard time watching the football. Well, bad <laughs> eyes on the back end. It's it's a quick. I mean, for you to lose a foot race or bite on something, uh, and be behind the eight ball on the back end, those guys have a tough job. I mean, I always make fun of them because they don't hit anybody in practice. And, you know, they, they listen to, to terrible music in the locker room. Uh, and they, they're generally, I, I don't think they, they have to work as hard as linemen, but I respect DBs because they have the hardest job on the field outside of a quarterback. 
Uh, and there's so little margin for error. And when you get that play action game going, uh, one false step, especially you saw it in like in, like in Philly. Like I said, I think they were 16 yards on the ground uh, or less in that first half when they took that play action shot to Deshaun. If you have somebody like that, just the threat of a commitment to the run game, one step, and it opens things wide up. Speaking of people uh, who don't execute play action well or anything lately, I'm also buying the Jameis Winston struggles. Did you get a chance to see that game? I did see it, and I don't know why anyone ever expects this to be different. You know, we do a, this a lot with quarterbacks where it'll be like year six, and we start saying, oh, you know, maybe we could do it. Like, we did it with Jay Cutler for his entire career where it was, yeah, but if if this, this, or this, and I do think there's a couple lean years there with the offensive line where I thought Jay Cutler was going to end up in a stretcher. Uh, that Giants game in particular was one of the worst beatings I think I've ever seen a quarterback take. But we'll do this with some QBs where we hang on to this idea that as long as the approach is going to be different, that the result's going to be different. And for Jameis, the result has been the same every single year except for maybe one year. And this is why they didn't pick up his... This is why they didn't give him the extension and they did the one-year, fifth-year option because they're the guys in the building every day with this dude and they know that he's not hes not the goods. I mean, did you think it was going to be different? Uh <laughs> I did. So I, 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 uh, I hook, line, and sinker. I don't know if you, you saw. Well, I, I broke two rules, evidently, uh, with my fantasy draft. One, uh, the internet reminded me that nobody gives a shit about your fantasy team. Uh, I've never played till now, so I was gushing with excitement. And, uh, and I live-tweeted my draft, not knowing that rule. I also didn't know the second rule, which was that you shouldn't draft Jameis Winston. Uh, I took him in the ninth, and... As I took him, I kind of had that, like, you know, when you're, like, a little bit proud and you, you look up to see the reaction and you're like, yeah, you know, not too much praise, guys. But people, it were audible gasps at my fantasy draft when I took Winston. <laughs> and How many I teams are in your fooled. league? 100? I got fooled. There's, like, 15 or something. Um, okay, all right. We just like had the ninth or, right. We just had to make sure that he wasn't the 90th player taken. So there's 15 no, teams. No, I mean, like, 10. I mean, it's still terrible. You know, maybe he's, like, but. 105th. I don't know. But... <laughs> So oh, wait a minute, the math's so, off here somewhere, but we'll move on. Yeah, I'm I, I'm deflecting how bad that pick was, but Arians, who is supposed to be this quarterback whisperer, I'm imagining him like whispering in Jameis's ear, like because that's what go they ahead, do, do right? it. You want to do it? Make do better, the whisper routine. Make, make better decisions, Jameis. Burn the ball in the red zone. Just burn it. You know, like shit like that. And he's like, Yeah, okay, I got this, Coach. Um. But but none of that happened. Not having a former quarterback in the room with him, uh, I should have known. Arians shit on my Rams in two thousand and like eleven or thirteen when we were struggling. What he um, said? I, he made some slick comment about Jeff Fisher, and that's why that team's always in you know watching on uh, on TV, and we're always playing in December or in January, um, and and. I should have known at that point, I should have just canceled Bruce Arians, the beret, the glasses, all of it should have just freaking canceled it. But he, he wrote me in with this quarterback whisperer stuff. So I took Jameis Winston and, uh, as I watched, man, he was worse than I remember. Um, eclipsed their San Francisco eclipsed their, their, their pick total from last year, just in last game alone. They had two picks last year. They had two for touchdowns yesterday. Um, 17th game for, for Jameis. 
with multiple INTs, and he just passed Blake Bortles for most since 2015 when he came in the league. Um, so I don't know if Jameis has gotten a pass a little bit or he's just got so much talent that, again, it's like tantalizing. Everybody, all these coaches think they can change people. I don't think he's getting a pass. I think he's been pretty heavily criticized. But you're right. Like If you bring up some of the numbers, like I did this when I was doing my quarterback depth chart thing the other day, Chris, where I go, you know, you look back at Tannehill's seasons individually when he wasn't hurt and you go, wait a minute, like that guy was actually all right. And you go, you know what? He wasn't, he wasn't like, I can look at some box scores yesterday and go, Hey, this guy moved the, he got the ball down the field there a little bit. It's, it's not just about 300 yards anymore. It's not just about a good completion percentage anymore. It's not even hell. Like I used to think, Oh, the guys that don't throw any picks, they're the best. And then you start to realize like, Hey, on third and seven, you gotta get, you gotta take some chances. You can't never, ever let the ball fly when a guy's covered up. Like sometimes you just got to let your receiver make some kind of play. So I've always, I, I think the numbers for quarterbacks have evolved so much that maybe I'm even more confused as to what is just a good number, and that's why I think I'm more back on my eyes than anything else. And I know that when it comes to pick sixes or his freelancing with the football, I mean, he even had another on fourth down. He had another one that was going to be picked in the red zone, but at least on that one I knew on fourth down he had to throw the freaking ball anyways because it's going to be a turnover. But, I mean, mm-hmm. this is who he was. These are the same things we were saying when he went number one. Hey, he needs to take care of the football. Some guys just never – figure out how to be better with the football and he's well they should have just uh, it was easy all you had to do was go take care of the football hey stop throwing to those guys over there hey maybe stop speaking of whispering everybody okay so that's yeah that's basically we we almost got it all in there to be you know you can't worry that we're going to touch every single game i gotta tell you about my game this weekend austin texas baby I uh, was there last year on the sidelines for the USC game. Texas looked good. I'll admit to you, even though I know guys understand my affinity for LSU, I do really like Texas. I like Tom Herman a lot. Um, thanks to the entire staff for uh, bringing us down there. But going into that game, I thought LSU had more dudes, and I was incredibly impressed that, that Texas made that a game after really having like two positive plays the first half and still being in it. You know, but it felt like to me LSU was the better team, and then the thing got out of control. It was hot all weekend. I know Texas fans think LSU players were dropping on purpose to slow down momentum, but in reality, but you can Delta attest. To- you can attest. No, I, you were. I was on the sideline. Tonics deep on the sideline. <laughs> Actually, I didn't pregame at all for that one. They have this new thing where I forget what it was called, but it was a soda water in a can, so it looked like I was drinking IPAs and. Guys were like, "Hey, do you want a beer?" I'd be like, "Yeah, get me another one of those, the Rambler." And it was oh yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. I, this this big cel- is it the seltzer movement? But it wasn't it wasn't a hard seltzer. It was a virgin seltzer. So I was sitting there pounding <laughs> virgin soda waters the whole day, and nobody knew I wasn't drinking. It was awesome. And so that's by like the, time, the trick. You got to yeah. do the trick where if somebody buys you shots at the bar, have I done this around you? Yeah, you we did it in Montana. It yeah. yeah. No, just, no, no. This guy wanted to do shots with me and he was shit faced. And of course, he's the same guy telling me, you're not as big you as you the, look. Yeah, on TV. yeah, yeah. We were out. So, that was, so, uh, Chris, hold on. Just, we got to give a little more context. Chris, no, Chris and I were out in Big Fork, Montana last month. And that guy almost ruined the night. He was so drunk because it was just like, I don't mind. You know, look, if a guy wants to come up and tell you how cool it is and he's talking, but like he he thought he was going to be in the friend zone the rest of the night like he thought he was going to get the no it was a weird way hang. to get in the friend zone it was a weird way to get in the friend zone to walk up to me and like grab me by the shoulders and and shake me and tell me you're not as big as you look on tv there buddy i <laughs> i was like i'm about 200 i was like i'm about 250 pounds what do you weigh 
Like, like, so, and, and then he, and then he's, he's stumbling over himself to try to get shots. So what I started doing was having the bartender, I said, okay, you want to do a shot? Here you go. Let's do rail vodka. So I send him rail vodka and I take a shot of water. One shot, two shots, three shots. The guy disappears. I hope he's okay. But if you're no, annoying he me. Didn't, he, he didn't disappear because the, as you were telling me what you were doing, because I've done the just dump it. And then I've also done the thing where I'm like, okay. And then I end up hating myself for doing it. But um, I just hate letting down 20 something year old dudes. But I, <laughs> I saw you doing it. And then a fight broke out, which is hilarious. And I almost got rolled up from behind, like an offensive lineman who's holding up his side, but the play is on his yeah. backside. And then it get tackled back into his legs. I almost got yeah. rolled up in this fight. And I just immediately he got like, hard. Yeah, I just darted behind a beam and just put my hands up like, I don't want anything to do with this. And that you fight lasted about- You would have been at the about, Texas game in a Don Joy. I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought it was going to be a Donnybrook there. I had a beer dumped all over the back of my hoodie. <laughs> and- um your mom was and when really you proud fight it, you fight day. at a bar. When when you fight at a bar in uh in in Montana, they don't actually kick you out of the bar. No, they let everybody stay. <laughs> <laughs> you just usually like listen. Usually, you get in a fight at a bar. You got to talk about it at home, but you can literally just go back and order a pitcher and sit back down and talk about the fight that just happened that you were involved in. Exactly. So but, unbelievable. That was a, that was fascinating because it was like a real quick melee. Two guys punched each other in the head as hard as they can. A beer went flying up in the air. It got all over my hoodie. I ran away from the whole thing. And then you and I just sort of watched and laughed. I mean, we weren't really in the mix. It wasn't like... Uh, no, definitely we just, not. Let's clear that up. Yeah, right. So people understand it was a very... like I don't want to make fun of it, but it was actually a funny fight because it was like an older guy versus a much younger guy. And they both whacked each other in the head immediately. And then it was just over. And you're right. They went their separate ways and nobody, security didn't even talk to him. And so <laughs> nah. after you, you placeboed the guy from Cleveland that insulted your frame, um, what you don't understand is he was already hammered. And then you, he, he's drinking Zarkov light rapid fire with you thinking he's bonding with this NFL player and you're drinking warm water from a gun, which is almost a way to bond to like talk shit to NFL players, like, like quick way to get head butted suddenly in the, in the nose. (laughs) Yeah, that's my move. That's going to be my move now. I mean, like, yeah, I don't fight anymore, but I will headbutt somebody in the nose. (laughs) So when you said he disappeared, we had the Uber come grab us. We were headed back to the compound, and um, he was outside, sad, dart smoking by himself, leaning up against a fence. And I went, "Oh no, yeah, he was." That's that's yeah, what the was. well. That's what the well vodka is going to do to you because he went past his. He just, you know, I could already see the math, the science of it all. Was like, wait a minute, I didn't think I was going to do four shots of vodka in an hour on top of uh, and there's and there's no cabs there there, there's no cab there's no uber there's no cabs and one time after the bar there i thought that i could call a cab no answer me and a buddy ended up walking like five miles in the middle of the highway you know full moonlight um eventually had to thumb it back to our spot this is like four years ago uh i'm walking from probably 206 a.m to you don't realize how Friggin' slow five miles goes when you're walking and you're drunk. I mean, I think it was 4 a.m. I, I got believe. picked up. I can't believe how yeah. far away that was. I can't believe because usually 
I don't know that you're a great planner, but you're not afraid to put a plan in a motion to have a car ready to pick you up to avoid walking home five miles around a lake in Montana. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That's yep. how you're always in shape. That's why you'd be ready to go right now because you even jogged it a little bit because you're psycho. That's and what Tommy Dimitrov did. That's what Tommy Dimitrov does. If he goes out he for hates a drink. Uber. Yeah. He yeah, hates he Uber. He just walks he's home. Like, I, to burn right, it off. Like I, have, I have an option now because I wanted to jog back to Cherry Creek. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to leave you with this because uh, McConaughey, speaking of good times, was there at the game. So great game. Can't say enough good things about Austin and how great Texas was to us. And then I went out and did the LSU thing the Friday night before. I'm telling you, I, I'm getting closer and closer to maybe getting a condo down in Baton Rouge, maybe a timeshare for just, you mm-hmm. know, end of September. I don't know if I can ever have a job where it's like, hey, Rosillo moves to Baton Rouge for four months every year. So I don't know if you guys can sign him to anything. But <laughs> McConaughey's there, and he's the minister of culture now from Texas. And he's in it. And he had this awesome hat. I can't pull off those kinds of hats. That he had was like awesome. This, that was a really good-looking hat. I don't think you could pull it off. I think you're too big for it. Shut and, up, dude. If this fucking pod had video, I would superimpose that sick picture of me at a festival two weeks ago with an Indiana Jones hat on. Anyways. Wow. You get, ex- you get upset there right there with me uh, talking about your lack of accessorizing, hat so game. I'll take that back. So here's we're going to end on this note. McConaughey is on the field kind of at this little pregame thing. And he's, you know, up on the big screen the whole time. He's he's crushing it. And some, like, student assistant or, you know, somebody who, like, a game day ops person comes up. is like, hey, Mr. McConaughey, you know, we need you to move kind of over here. And McConaughey just looks at the person. I'm paraphrasing the five different versions I've heard of this story where he just looks at this, this kid and goes, hey, man, I'm just free-flowing. I am just going to be, all right? This is too big. You understand this? You dig? And the kid oh, was like, can I use that at home? Can I use that at yeah. home? Like when my wife's like, hey, I got to run out. You got the baby for a little bit. I'm just free flowing. Yep. Like, I'm just going to be. Hey, Chris, just, can you pick up some milk? Um, I'm just going to be. I'm and what do you say to that? Be. Now, first of all, the kid should have known better, like crazy ops guy being like, oh, my gosh, we have to move this guy in 90 seconds. And you think you're going to move McConaughey that way? And McConaughey was just like, nah, it's too big. You dig. <laughs> you don't so. move McConaughey. That's like rule number one. No, Corso's allowed to stand wherever he wants. McConaughey would be allowed to be outside of the coach's box, and I think the NCAA would understand that. So, I agree. Uh, all right, we can follow you on Twitter at? Oh, Joel91, J-O-E-L, number nine, O-N-E. I was going to say we should have McConaughey on the pod one week. We could probably do one week. I know he liked me. He likely liked Van Pelt more. Uh, which is usually the way that worked out. And that's fine. I we mean, could do it under I mean, a false premise that Van Pelt's going to join us and then just be like, oh, he's late. He's just being. <laughs> he would have to, McConaughey <laughs> would have to understand that. Be like, he's free-flowing. Today's his free-flowing day, so he may not join <laughs> us. McConaughey would <laughs> so be like, ske- I totally. Schedule, schedule. I, I totally understand it. We're going to be doing this every Monday. Subscribe, Ryan Rosillo Show podcast with Chris Long. Again, every Monday. I'll be back on Wednesday and Fridays. And enjoy the rest of the football week. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Rock.